Welcome back to Generations Generation Tom Podcast. Today we're doing something we have not done before. We're going to attempt to record them. Uh, so for everyone watching, unfortunately, you have to look at how ugly we are. How do you feel about that, Joe? Yeah, it's a real stressful and it's thunderstorming, so we're probably going to lose power. So, Well, knock on wood, we're not going to lose power today. But uh, to start today, we're going to talk about uh, our episode with Michael Lacanen, a buddy of mine from Kentucky. He came up here to Michigan for a couple days, and we were able to get together. And we talked a little bit about his his time in Kentucky, uh, why he moved out there, um, and some of the different strategies he has out there. We also talked a little bit about uh, some of the differences between Kentucky and Michigan. Um, So that's kind of an interesting uh i guess topic especially that considering 99 percent of the people we are going to talk to are from the state of michigan so uh some of his views on what we think are negatives here in michigan turn out to really not be that big of a deal compared to some of the things he deals with in kentucky which for us is a destination state i guess so um that was kind of interesting to talk about there um other than that we talked a little bit about a strategy mobile hunts um a lot of different varying topics, but a lot of it pretty much stems around Kentucky and uh, some of the things, challenges he ha- handles out there um, compared to here in Michigan and some of the challenges we handle here. Well, that sounds sweet. I unfortunately was not available to make it to that one, so I can't wait to hear it. Yeah. Uh, but other news, I would say season's like 30 days away and... I would highly recommend everybody getting their stuff out and getting all tuned in. We're going to have some sweet episodes coming out about, you know, things to do and, you know, how to tune your bow and all the other stuff. So keep them tuned for that. Um, Other than that, I think the best thing you guys should do for us to show us support would be either share our episodes when they come out or just write a review on Apple I think Spotify, you can write a review, but I think you have to listen to an episode. Uh, hopefully, you guys already listened to one. But if you can just write any review and give us five stars, if you can't give us five stars, don't give us no stars. <laughs> give us feedback on what you want us to do. Better. Yeah, and then just message me. Uh, Matt's on the the Facebook. If you want, is on the Facebook. You want to message him? Just message us what you want to hear. I, I don't really care. I mean, if if you want to come on, just message us. I don't care. I mean, yeah, I mean. I would say we're not too picky here. Uh, we're open to all kinds of views. You might disagree with us, but at the end of the day, I think uh, we're open to listening and just having basic uh, conversation, especially with other people that hunt. Ultimately, that's uh, what we started the podcast for. And so, yeah, if you've got views, ideas, you want to come on and share those, or if you just want us to talk about them, let us know, or, get a hold of us. Or you have people that you want to hear from. I mean, our our sources are pretty limited, so we can't get, like, Jim Shockey on here. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, if there's some local guy that would love to come onto a show, let us know and all that. So, I mean, we can probably try to make it happen i mean our, our schedules are opening up and we're taking on a lot of people right now i mean september if you want to be on the podcast is a great time because we have so much time but in october is going to be pretty booked up so we're just trying to film a whole bunch of content for you guys and all that so yep so yeah i would say september things are going to be gearing up here things are going to be gearing up for others um in the woods so yeah just get a hold of us let us know
Yeah. Sweet. Can't can't wait. Yeah. This is the Generations to Hunt podcast, where the goal is to learn together and further the culture of hunting. Welcome back to the Generations to Hunt podcast. Today it's uh, Matt, and uh, we have a special guest all the way from Kentucky, originally from Michigan, uh, Michael Laconan. Michael, introduce yourself. How's everything going, and how did you end up here? How's it going? Uh, my name is Michael Laconan, and I originally am from Shiawassee County, Michigan, and uh, in 2018, I ended up moving down to northern Kentucky, uh, just trying to chase some big bucks around. So you're part of, I don't, I don't want to mess this up, but uh, what is it? You guys videotape, and do you guys have a TV show, or what is Hunting Junkies exactly? So Hunting Junkie, it's a, it's a bunch of guys um, from all over. Mainly, we're from the Cincinnati area. And uh, we we started a podcast. We haven't done a lot of filming on that, but we have a YouTube series. Uh, it's called Hunting Junkie, and we film quite a bit of stuff. We have Facebook, Instagram, and just a bunch of stuff like that. It's just a bunch of guys chasing deer around. And I mean, we'll talk about it a little bit later, I guess. But so Hunting Junkies does. Like, this isn't your run-of-the-mill YouTube friends that got together and just shoot a buck. You guys have a whole storyline behind some of the deer that you guys have killed um, and everything that goes into it. It's a pretty cool setup. Um, if you guys haven't seen them, I'd highly recommend checking them out. It's definitely not your – it's a pretty good production you guys got going on there. So uh, that's that's pretty neat. We'll talk a little bit later, I guess, on – on how you guys created that, but I want to get into a little bit uh, how you got to Kentucky, why you moved to Kentucky as opposed to other states, and, you know, because I, I know you didn't move to Kentucky, you didn't move out of Michigan for a job opportunity in Kentucky. I'm sure that might have been the reason, but I'll let you tell the main reason why you moved from Michigan to Kentucky. Okay, yeah. So... Graduated high school in 2016. Uh, I started mobile hunting in 2014. And I just busted my tail around public land and some small farms that I had. And I was having some decent success. I tagged out in Kentucky pretty much every year, but I could never really get my eyes on anything over like three and a half years old, mainly just killing two and a half year olds every year. And, uh, I've always wanted to chase big deer, but I knew in Michigan it would be few and far between whether or not I'd kill one every five years or seven years. And uh, all my life, I've just been obsessed with deer hunting and uh, spent as much time as I could in the woods, but I just wanted something a little bit different. Uh, I thought about moving to Iowa originally after high school, but all of my family's in Michigan. So I thought, Maybe I could find something a little bit closer. Uh, I knew Kentucky was a very good area. Um, the reason why I actually chose northern Kentucky is because 
I've always wanted to kill multiple deer and Kentucky's only a one buck state. So I picked Northern Kentucky because I'm only 30 minutes from Ohio and 30 minutes from Indiana. So this location that I chose was Northern Kentucky where I could reach both states and hunt multiple states in one season. But not only that, with me loving hunting as much as I do, Kentucky is one of the first seasons to open in the U.S. and Ohio's the very last one to close, or at least one of the last ones to close. So I would have the most amount of time to bow hunt for the entire year so I could spend the most amount of time in the woods. But not only that, all three of those states tend to have pretty good records with holding big deer. Yeah, I think all three of those states are probably... If not top five, definitely top ten whitetail destinations for most non-residents in, in the oh, country. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And like I said, I specifically chose that because uh, I have four public lands within ten minutes of my house, and they're all bow only, and I only bow hunt. So I chose that area just because I would have the most opportunity to do what I loved within such a short distance, but... Like you said, all of them states are big buck destinations, so there's a lot better deer to chase down there than there is here, but with my family being in Michigan, I'm only five hours away from home, whether or not if I moved to like Iowa, I would be 10 hours, so I could still go home on the weekends and see my family, but then again, I can spend all year doing this. So did you have a job when you were down there, or did you kind of just move down there and then try to pick up a job, or I guess how did that... How did that transition from, all right, I want to move to a state for what most people would consider a hobby, but I got to figure out how I'm going to support myself when I get down there? (laughs) That is a good question. So honestly, I focused everything I could around deer. (laughs) So I picked a job, just a field of, a job field where I would have the most opportunity to spend the most amount of time in the woods. So the job I work for, um, it's actually four days on, four days off. So I would have four days, no matter what, to go out of state and travel um, on my days off so I could spend the most opportunity I could in one place. So I wouldn't say I'm off on a weekend. I can go spend four days in Ohio or I can go spend four days in Indiana, but then I can still come home and work 40 hours for the week and not have to take vacation. So whether I would be in a different job, I'd have to take a week vacation to go travel. This, I don't have to take any time off, and I can go wherever I want. All right, yeah, that uh, that's a different mindset than most, but I would say it's paid off, right? I mean, as far as <clears throat> you moved out of Michigan to be able to hunt trophy-class deer, and in the last five years, I don't know if I could, I don't know the exact number, but you've put some hammers on the ground in Ohio, couple in Kentucky, and then I want to say you shot a giant half-rack, didn't you, like four or five years ago? Yeah, so I've killed, I've killed every year I've been there in Kentucky and Ohio, and uh, my first year I was there, I killed Ohio, Indiana, and Kentucky. Yeah. But my biggest one was in Indiana. Was it? Okay. Yeah. I thought it was in Ohio. I killed well, those. In 2019, <clears throat> I killed that half rack in Ohio. And he was 
he would have been a really good one if I if he had both sides. But the one in Indiana is probably my biggest buck ever. What'd that score, if you don't mind me asking? I've never scored never any scored. deer I've okay. ever killed. But if I had to guess, he's probably, I don't know, maybe around 150 class, but public he's land. He's yeah. going to be close to 150-inch buck. Yeah. Now, do you hunt specifically public or... Do you try to hunt public, and then do you got some private land spots? How, how do you got? What do you got going on there? So, every year I've been there, I've actually pretty much only hunted public, and but the last few years I've started gaining permission on private. Uh, I've had private permission for about three years now, but I've actually never even hunted it. So I've only hunted public land since I've been there, besides maybe one or two sits. Do you think it's easier to? <clears throat> gain access to private property there than it was in Michigan or is about the same? Absolutely not. I've probably knocked on 200 doors and I've only got maybe three yeses. And the only reason why I've got the yeses is because I work on their farm for free. Okay. (laughs) All right. So, I mean, uh, but the public land's a lot different. Like, so I knew even the private land you hunted in Michigan, you ran into a lot of issues on the one piece with trespassers mm-hmm. all over. Mm-hmm. And that were like, they didn't even try to hide it. Yeah. I mean, I think one time you had a tree stand stolen, dudes riding quads up and down the property mm-hmm. you have permission to hunt. <clears throat> and uh, no matter how many times you like try to get them off, it didn't matter. And then I think one time you were confronted about a neighbor thinking that you were trespassing, right? Yeah. 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 And then he ended up coming to my house and I talked to him and he, he realized who I was, and it was cool after that. But, uh, yeah, I had a lot of problems in Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> but, honestly, I've probably had the most problems in Kentucky. Really? But it's all the northern part. So I live in the very first four public lands that you can reach from any state, pretty much. So all the out-of-staters, they all come to them. So, actually, a lot of the times I travel an hour or two just to hunt like the good public land that I have. But, uh, I do hunt a lot around my house as well. Do you notice a difference in, did you hunt public in Michigan? You hunted public a little bit in Michigan or yeah. yeah. Do you notice for me, I notice a difference when I go out of state, Mm -hmm. when I hunt public land and I'm going during peak rut, but Mm -hmm. the pressure is different, at least in the States I've gone to. Yeah. How different is the pressure, in your opinion, Kentucky to Michigan? Well, so it's kind of it's kind of split up. So I would say in September, northern Kentucky is by far the most pressured place I've ever been in my life. Really? Just because it's in September and no one else is hunting. So you have all of the Vada Staters come to the northern part. But say I go down middle of the state, southern parts, there's hardly any pressure. There's a lot more hills there, aren't there, in the uh, southern part? Where I live is there's more hills. Really? But the farther south and farther west you go is more flat. Okay. But uh, honestly, so after September, it drops off drastically. But I would say in September, it probably has more pressure than I've seen in Michigan. But after October, it falls off a lot, and it's a lot less pressured than uh, the places I've been. Like I've been to Michigan in November. I would say public land around here 
would be comparable to in November, say opening week of gun season would be opening week of bow season in Kentucky. Yeah, it's it's wild that's, out there. Yeah, that's so. I mean, I guess I see it. I've never hunted early that season, so <clears throat> but I can see because Kentucky is one of few states that has a velvet tag, mm-hmm. and I know that's not what it's called. It's just the season in which it yeah. opens up, but. Um, so that's a big draw for, for whitetail hunters yeah. because here, um, your only real chance at a velvet buck was during the youth season when you were younger. And that wasn't even always, a, that wasn't a great chance either. Yeah. So, um, I could see it. I never thought of that before. I've never, I mean, cause I've never gone down there. Like one of my bucket list items is to go to one of these States that opens early and shoots a, shoot a velvet buck. But I never... I never figured that it would get that much pressure because my experience is in November, these other states is when you, I mean, you see nothing but out of state. It's like people in Kansas and Ohio just don't hunt in November. I don't, cause I don't, all I yeah. see is like when you're in Ohio, you got New York, Pennsylvania, Michigan, West Virginia, and things like that mm-hmm. from, uh, uh, different parts of the Northeast of the country there. And, um, it still was never pressured like what, Early October. I mean, early October here is probably the calmest in Michigan, mm-hmm. and it's still quite a bit more than anything I've experienced in other yeah. states. Yeah, I would say Michigan is by far probably the most pressured state throughout the year. Um, but like I said, in September is when Kentucky gets the pressure. Let's say, but honestly, it's only been cranking up like that the last couple of years. So when I first moved down to Kentucky, I hardly seen anybody in 2018 and 2019 but ever since public land and people going out of state traveling has gotten a lot more popular i've seen a lot more cars so like for instance in 2020 opening day i was going to hunt a piece of public land by my house and there was 38 cars in one parking lot (laughs) but you go in october and you may see one so it's really only that early season where a lot of people go but, I mean, honestly, there's a lot of public around where you can get away from people. So how does your early season strategy, so say, how does your September strategy change to the last week of September to first week of October? Because as far as deer patterns, they're really not a ton different than that move. They're still on a food source. They're still on that pattern. But I imagine for you, your strategy would be drastically different than what mine is if you're dealing with all that pressure. So I yeah. guess how do you how do you deal with say the first two weeks of September as opposed to that first last week of September to October when things cool down? So to be honest, between the last week of September the first week of September is always gonna be the best. Um and when I do that I typically travel um to a place that has a lot more farm ground. This year is going to be a little bit different because I have beads on deer. But if I'm going in fresh and I don't have anything in mind, um, I find a public land that has a lot of ag around. And I just try glassing deer on private farmlands nearby where I can access from public. Or if there is ag land on the public, then I'll just start glassing um, throughout the summer and closer to the last week of August and just try getting on something and then come first of the season, typically they're still going to be hitting those bean fields or anything green um, on whether if it's private or public. 
and I'll just try slipping in that way because they'll be on their early season routine. But once you get to the last part of September, first time, first part of October, uh, you're starting to see a lot more white oaks drop in. Um, close to that, you're starting to get close to your first frost, but not. That's more towards like the second or third week of October. But I would be switching more towards like white oaks. Um, and by then, there's they're still browsing on the crop fields quite a bit just getting there a little bit later but uh, i kind of switch gears a little bit more towards like closer to their bedding to their very first food source but now instead of their first food source being the ag fields it would be white oaks or anything any mass crop like persimmon trees those are really hot around that time frame but a lot of the times i'm in between white oaks and their bed yep so that's how <clears throat> in michigan i would hunt like if i like i don't mind a bean field um but i know they're not going to start hitting that till like last light mm -hmm. at least mature bucks if i can find a set of oaks uh even um I learned this from the public land prowler guys, the jewel weed, stuff like that, that's in between where they're bedding and say that ag field, mm -hmm. I'm going to rather set up there mm -hmm. when our season opens. Now, how do you, how much pre does the pressure affect that first week in Kentucky? Like, do you get nervous after like the first two days of a buck you've kind of got eyes on? Do they just go nocturnal for that week, or I mean, I guess how is that playing out? Um, I would have to say your first three days, if you're on a deer, you have a very high chance of killing them. But after after I'd say the first few days, it drops off drastically um, until probably the last week of September, first part of October, they start picking up again. But the food sources will change. Yeah. Uh, in that time frame. So they become a little bit more patternable, honestly, around the second week of October. I would say between the 10th and 15th of October is my favorite time to hunt a deer if the I old, don't have them killed. In the old October lull? Yeah. Honestly, I think, <laughs> I think the October lull is probably the best time to kill a deer that you're targeting. I think it depends on where you hunt. So I have two properties that I can hunt, and one... Um, we talked about it a little bit beforehand. Like, I, we were talking, you were showing me some trail camera pics, and I told you, I showed you a couple, but I was like, you know, I don't have a ton on camera right now. Mm -hmm. But come that October lull, I know there'll be bucks there. Mm -hmm. I know, like, it's it's the one of the first properties I've ever hunted where I can't wait for the October lull mm -hmm. um, because I know the moment things start to get a little tingly in the woods, you know, what what we all consider the lull mm -hmm. is when bucks really kind of are splitting up and establishing dominance, and all of a sudden, man, this, this section of woods just lights up with bucks. Oh, yeah. But then the other section will kind of start to calm down, and part of it is I think it's loaded up with does, so they don't have to establish as much dominance because there's not as much pressure to fight over deer mm -hmm. and there's not as much bedding cover like the place i hunt here in corona is nothing but bedding mm -hmm. so these deer are coming in there all the time and 
that's where all those does are, and all of a sudden that's where all these bucks are coming in now. Yeah. And the other place, I don't have that same type of bedding, so there's tons of does around, but you're not seeing anything until it gets out to the field. Yeah. So it, there definitely is a lull effect there, but this place in Corona, man, I'll tell you right now, it's I almost get excited when I don't see any velvet bucks mm-hmm. because every time I it, it, this happens, it, they're just like – Bucks just come in the like just herds come that second week of October. Yeah, so. I, I mean I agree, and honestly I don't, I can't say this for sure, but I would say around the fourteenth or fifteenth, if you're having a doe that's starting to crack early, then bucks get a little frisky. Uh, I run a lot of mock community scrapes, and I hunt almost ninety percent over the scrapes I build. And uh, whether it's between their first food source or between doe and buck bedding, I would say around that time frame is when I start seeing them bucks daylight on them scrapes like several times a day. I don't know if it's to, like you said, maybe establish dominance breaking off into their own or they're they're starting to get a little tingly, like you said, whether the first doe is starting to crack and they're wanting to seek it. Um, they're not necessarily rutting at that time, but yeah. they're they're getting their testosterone built up, and they're going to want to check them scrapes in daylight a little bit more, um, whether or not it's colder in the mornings or whether or not, like I said, the the does are getting in their established areas, the bucks are in their established areas, and they're just kind of feel around of where they want to be come pre-rut. Yep. So I would say. Around that 14th, 15th is when I start noticing <clears throat> much more aggressive sparring mm-hmm. into full-on fights. Um, scrapes become... <clears throat> I'm a little bit more cautious on how I hunt scrapes depending on what I've got coming to them just because you will go from one scrape to 30 overnight because all of a sudden bucks are <clears throat> trying to establish, like, this is my area, stay out. Mm-hmm. In Kentucky, I think it's probably a little bit different than here because in Michigan, I'll have 14 year and a half year old bucks <laughs> establishing dominance. So it's not really that effective. But if you got a nice mature buck and he has now claimed this as his, as his area, yeah, you're going to have an opportunity to kill that deer because he's going to respond to calls. He's going to respond to anything coming in there that's essentially trying to take over his dominance yeah yeah i agree uh that could definitely be a step in the right direction Uh, a lot of the scrapes that i make are community scrapes so i typically put them between buck bedding doe bedding and just where a lot of things come together in one spot so not only bucks are hitting them but i'm having does fawns small bucks big bucks just kind of letting deer know who's in the area so every time they pass that area, they'll hit the licking branch, and the next year will come in, and they'll hit the licking branch. They just kind of let let each deer know who's there and when they're there. But if you have a doe that's starting to crack, you will see the bigger bucks hit that more often. So you might see them a couple hours after dark, uh, a couple weeks before, and they start seeing more deer hit that. Well, then them bigger bucks or whatever deer is in the area, they'll come in there couple times a day a little bit earlier a little bit coming back to their bed a little bit later um just kind of checking it yeah just kind of checking it more and um 
say you, for instance, there's some deer. Last year, I've been I log all of my trail camera data, and there's some deer like you get in between like the 14th and 15th, and you'll have them at midnight the whole week before, but then more deer start hitting that, and you'll see them an hour earlier, two hours earlier, um, and sometimes like the more deer that hit it, you'll start seeing them hit it a couple times a day and just trying to catch up with the rest of the deer and find out who's there. But if there's more than one buck in the area, typically the one that wants the dominance is going to be hitting it more. And just the closer you get to that third week, you have a really good chance of catching up with them. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, like I said, it's, I don't know how many deer are in Kentucky. It's, it's, it's definitely different, but the, the results are different here just because of the age structure of deer, mm-hmm. but I think the results are the same. So, like, mm-hmm. if I have a year-and-a-half-year-old buck, that 10th to 15th is when I start noticing I have eight pictures of this deer at eight different times in this same day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he wasn't even here a week ago. But then I do start to notice, okay, like, I got my, you know, a couple two-year-olds have now showed up. And now next thing you know, like, I'm getting them a couple times a night. Generally, like you said, a couple hours after dark and then a couple, an hour or so before it gets light out. Mm-hmm. That seems to be the, the two most prevalent times that I'm getting that age age structure. And then the older age structure up to three-and-a-half, four-and-a-half-year-old bucks. Mm-hmm. But if they're there then, come that 20th to the 25th is when I start popping out a lot more daytime pictures of, you know, young bucks, two, two year olds, three year olds and such like Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. That, that third week, that 20, I would say about the 20th to the, about the 26th is seems to be like scrape week for me. (laughs) I mean, I believe that's what they call it, but that third week, like you said, they're, they're hammering the scrapes, and whether or not it's daytime or not, but you start seeing them a lot more, and you actually start seeing them daylight a lot more around there. But to be honest, I, from hunting in Michigan and hunting in Kentucky, I feel like there's a lot more deer in Michigan. There's a lot less deer in Kentucky. They're just no, a lot I more know. quality. There's a lot more deer in Michigan. I mean, I don't know how what your average sit is, but I'm going off of Kansas, and I'm going off of Ohio. Average deer, I mean, in both Ohio and Kansas, I could count on one hand how many deer I've seen in the entire month I've been in Ohio. Mm-hmm. I can go out in one sit, opening day of bow season, and see more deer in one sit oh, yeah. than any of those. But I've seen three to, three or four bucks that would go 140 or bigger in those that short amount of time in Kansas and Ohio, Michigan, I've seen two deer, and they never even came close enough for me to get a shot in in Michigan. That would go 140 or bigger. In fact, I think the biggest buck I've taken a shot at in Michigan is probably 130 inches, maybe 135. Mm -hmm. So the age class in Michigan is what kills Michigan. Yeah. But if you're coming if if you're looking for somewhere to get into the sport, Michigan's a great place to go, you know. Oh yeah. Lots I'm... of deer. Um 
tons of available public land while it might be frustrating, but like your chances of walking out with a deer in Michigan are pretty high just about anywhere you go, at least at least where we are. I mean, the farther, farther north you go, I could see that being an issue, but you go to states like Kentucky, mm-hmm. it's a lot hillier, a lot fewer deer, and a lot harder hunting, but when you do see one, I mean, you showed me beforehand, <laughs> those are some bucks that I'd come unleashed on if I seen on my trail camera, let alone see them in person. So, Yeah, I would say there's definitely a lot fewer deer but the quality is there and with it being a one buck state i would say people are a lot more picky with the ones that they kill with i mean if anyone wants to kill a deer to make them happy i'm all for it you just see a lot more quality deer in kentucky than you do in michigan oh yeah nobody wants to shoot a six point opening day and then be done for the rest of the year right Mm -hmm. i mean 95% 95% of the hunters I know, especially bow hunters, they want to hunt for a while, right? Like they want to, they, yeah. they want to enjoy the woods. So if they only had one buck tag, I'd sure a lot more would pass on some of the smaller bucks um, just to spend more time out in the woods. But at the same time, we can all agree, part of the reason we're out there is to put an arrow through a deer, you know, it's. I don't know if there's much that really compares to that adrenaline rush. I mean, from my first year till now, it's it's the re, it's the rush I'm looking for when I go out there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, here in Michigan, people can shoot uh, two bucks. So, you know, they might shoot a six-point and just and take that rush right away. And you know what? Ultimately, it's legal. You know, go have fun. But... In a, in one buck states, I feel like more people, if they're gonna spend all that time and money, they they want it to be worth it. I guess you could say. Oh yeah, with without a doubt, and I really honestly, Michigan's my favorite place to hunt. I love seeing deer. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's it's honestly really frustrating. I would see more deer in one weekend in Michigan than I will in an entire season in Kentucky. Really? Uh, without a doubt, hands down. I might only see 20 deer a year in Kentucky, but I'll see 12 Pope and Youngs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, it, and I might not even see two in Michigan. Right. But I will see 40 deer in December. Oh, yeah. One hunt. You get lucky, you might catch them herding up, and you'll see 150 to 200 deer in one field. Oh, yeah. Like, and it's just... I love it. I, I I don't know. So I'm torn. I I love Michigan. Um I love the outdoor opportunities Michigan gives, but at the same time I love shooting big bucks, which is part of the reason I spend all that time going out of state. So, I mean, if if I did what you did and made that pretty bold leap to move out of Michigan, it would be to Iowa. Like that that would be my dream destination. Convincing the wife to do that might be a little <laughs> different. But um like if you gave me an unlimited amount of money, I would be moving to Iowa. There would be no questions asked. I've never even been there. I just the ag is very similar to here. The deer density is a little bit smaller, but it's nowhere near kind of what you're dealing with in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. 
and it's nowhere near as hilly as Kentucky. So even if I'm not seeing deer that are close enough, you know, it's still fun to glass deer. I like watching deer to learn about deer. Like that's oh, yeah. how I learned so much about deer in Michigan is just letting deer go and then watching how they react to things. So I can imagine it's frustrating going 10 sits without seeing a deer. You know? Oh, yeah, it's it's rough. Mentally, you got to be pretty tough to keep putting yourself through harsh conditions, carrying all your gear out there to see maybe one deer. Without a doubt, like sometimes I can go a whole week without seeing a deer. And it it's really frustrating, but I know I'm close. And that's a thing with trying to target the more mature deer. They're kind of loners. So if if you're not seeing deer, it's not always a bad thing. Because if you do see one, it's typically the right one. Um, so I don't let it get affect me too much. But then again, I do love seeing deer. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I almost moved to Davenport, Iowa. Um, just because... I could hunt India or Illinois, Iowa, and Missouri. But the biggest thing that I hate about Kentucky is my favorite thing in the entire world, like more than just hunting, is every single day I used to drive around the fields and glass deer in the fields and videotape them in the fields in Michigan. That doesn't exist in Kentucky. There's no ag fields. Yeah. I have to drive an hour and a half to Indiana or two hours to Ohio to see cropland. And that's, that's the one thing that I miss about that. And that's why I would rather move to Iowa than I would twice to drive for your family and stuff like that. Exactly. Not only that, but like I said before, the number one reason why I chose Kentucky over Iowa is the fact that, since my family is exactly five hours away, I have the opportunity to come home. And if I didn't go, if I did move to Iowa, I wouldn't have that chance. Right. So I still have, maybe the hunting's not as great, but the benefits are better. Right. Yep. Now, what, so we talked a little bit, obviously, you your plans are to go to Ohio. I, what? We talked a little bit beforehand, but you've got a handful of out-of-state hunts. Um, so outside of Kentucky, what are your plans for the rest of your season? So um, I'm kicking my season off in Kentucky. There's actually a couple places that their tags don't follow the Kentucky's bag limit. So I can kill more than one deer in Kentucky on these other places. Um, so I'm going to try hunting Kentucky statewide tag early, and then I will hit up one of those other places to try getting my second buck. Um, and after that, I'm probably going to try doing that in September. And then around early October is when I tend to start hitting Indiana. And, uh, after I tag out there for Halloween, I might try making a second trip for early October, but around Halloween, I'm taking a trip to Oklahoma to spend with my good buddy out there and chase some deer around out there. And then I'll hit late season in Ohio. All right. So you have three different states, three four. or four different states, and 
three pretty different terrains. Oklahoma's pretty flat and open, isn't it? Yep. Uh, well, I'm actually going to try making two trips out to Oklahoma. Uh, one is in, like, the south south part, t- kind of by Texas. So it's a lot open terrain, uh, mesquite country. Uh, so it kind of be like hunting Texas a little bit. And then my Halloween trip will be around the center of the state. So it'll be a little bit mixed ag, um, some open land, but also have some hardwoods there. All right. Indiana's pretty close to Michigan. Lots of hardwoods, lots of, not tons of ag, but there's most similar to kind of what you grew up on. Um, kind of, well... It depends where I hunt. So the one that I mainly hunt is basically the same as Kentucky. It's really hilly. Honestly, it's a lot like Zone 5 in Iowa. Uh, there's very little ag compared to Iowa, but it's around the same terrain. A lot of CRP fields, um, fingers of woods, big ridges, deep hollers. And then... The other part of the state in Indiana that I hunt is a lot like Michigan. Uh, I try, I really like hunting farm, farm country. So, I make a trip out there to try hunting that area a little bit. And uh, Ohio, I try hunting swamp. So what region in Ohio? I don't need your location because it's crazy how different Ohio is. Like. <clears throat> Southeast is real hilly, pretty much what you're hunting in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. The southwest, though, is not quite as flat, but it's not. It's got a lot more ag to it, probably closer to what you're hunting in Indiana. But the northern half of Ohio is just Michigan 2.0. I mean, mm-hmm. it's. I mean, it's got a couple more rolling hills, but it's ag. It's hardwoods. It's you know, it, it it's Michigan 2.0. Just Oh yeah, bigger deer. Yeah, without a without a doubt, um, I would say in Ohio. So from where I live, the places that I hunt is basically a three and a half hour radius around my house. I've scouted every place within three and a half hours in the last five years I've lived there, and uh, I kind of narrowed it down a little bit. I started targeting a lot more water access than I have in the past just because of the amount of pressure that public land has gotten over the last few years. So it's anywhere between, it could be 30 minutes. It could be three hours. It just depends. So it's anywhere from the Southwest corner to the Northern North central part of the state. Okay. So I'm hunting a little bit of farm, a lot of swamp swamps, my favorite thing to hunt, but pretty much anywhere that has water is, Typically, if I'm going out of state, besides Indiana, because that's really far to find something like that um, from where I live. But in Ohio, I typically try hunting a place with water access. So when you first got down there, did you do a lot of e-scouting on these places? I mean, it's a little bit different than most. Like when I'm going out of state, even to go down to Ohio is a six to eight hour trip, you know. So I don't get a ton of access to go down there, I guess, as much as what you're kind of going to have with where you're hunting with everything being within a three and a half hour radius. So, I mean, how did you go about finding some of these little pockets that you're hunting on public land? Um, 
when you first got down there and even still now, I mean, outside of just, did you do a lot of e-scouting or is it just a lot of boots on the ground and trail cameras and such like that? So, like I said, I've, I've put boots on the ground and at least pretty much every piece around me, um, in that radius. And I would narrow it down based on the amount of access they have, like parking lot wise, um, what's easy for people to hunt, what's hard for people to hunt, um, where I thought more pressure would be, um, places that I thought would be overlooked, uh, where I would see a lot of out of staters come and just kind of like, I kind of crossed off the hot areas where a lot of people would like to hunt. And I narrowed it down to places that had fewer parking lots, harder to access, whether it's water or just didn't have hardly any places to park. And I really like mixed terrain. So whether I'm hunting completely hill country or farmland, I really like the diversity to where I can get out and find deer in separate parts of these places. So like I said, a lot of the a lot of the times I would use a boat. I have a kayak, but now I have a John boat. And uh, I just kind of narrowed it down to from a three and a half hour radius to I picked maybe four places, four public lands in each state to focus on because um, I was kind of stretching myself a little thin trying to run around trying to find something. And uh, now I just kind of have like a home base of where I spend I'm going to hunt these three places in Ohio these three places in Indiana and I'll pick maybe five or six in Kentucky to focus on right yeah now you have kind of your spots like we would have back here if we, yeah you know so it just like, did a lot of weaning out so did you have any spots where you went in and you thought this is going to be a home run and then boom like just kind of regret or a lot more pressure than you expected have you, have you run into that quite a bit or what I would say in the last two years, yes. The first two years I lived there, it was hardly any pressure. But the last two years, I've seen a lot more people. Um, for instance, the actually the place I killed in Kentucky or Ohio last year, I've been hunting there for three years, and I've never once seen anyone. And the last, this past year, I killed on my second day third hunt and on by the time i killed on the third hunt i seen nine boats pass me all hunting yeah i think the cat's out of the bag with ohio yeah um, that's kind of why i quit going there um a lot more pressure especially that first two weeks of november man that's she exactly gets when it was smashed um I'll pay a little bit more to go to places like Kansas. Um, but still, I mean, Missouri is a cheap out-of-state tag. Kentucky's really not expensive. Kentucky's a fairly cheap out-of-state tag. It's, what, 300 bucks? 335 Yeah, so, I mean, for 250 bucks, you can go to uh, Ohio and you can deal with similar things that I deal with here in Michigan, or I can spend... An extra hundred bucks go to Kentucky, spend an extra ten bucks go to Missouri, you know, and Kansas is a draw state and it's it's an extra three hundred bucks, but it's worth it if you you know if you ever go out there. Same with Iowa. I mean, you're talking Iowa after it's all said and done is something like an eight hundred dollar tag, but yeah, 
when you no, get out no. there, like there's a reason for that, right? I mean, you're not dealing with an insane amount of pressure from out-of-staters. In-staters don't deal with – it cracks me up listening to people on Facebook from other states <laughs> talk about pressure, but – in-state hunters don't deal with nearly as much pressure from all the people coming out of state, and uh, the experience is a little bit more enjoyable for everyone. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And I, I know I said that Kentucky gets an extreme amount of pressure, but really it's only September where I see these people, and that's just because their states aren't open yet. But after October, it, it doesn't compare to Michigan. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I have, I mean, even Ohio, which in my opinion is starting to get smashed a little bit. Um, it's still nothing like Michigan. I mean, man, I've, I, I don't know. I, I want to venture out and I venture out a little bit more now in Michigan on public land. I like the challenge. I, I think the idea is, is, is really cool, but man, I don't like people ruining my hunts. Like I, and I don't like stupidity. And, um, like there's just at times a bit of a lack of courtesy at on public land, especially oh, in yeah. Michigan. I haven't really ran into it in other states. Like if I'm at a parking lot in another state, someone just drives by or I've even had, you know, Hey, like, where do you plan on going? You know, I'm going to go over here. All right. Well then I'm going to go over here, you know, mm-hmm. and, yeah, there's and, a lot of but that. like here I've ran into, we're going to pile five cars in here and I'm going to walk past you and set up 30 yards behind you for no reason other than this is the only spot I scouted. I don't know where else to look. And it's like, man, like I was here first, like literally move 200 yards down and I'm going to be happy. But like yeah. it's set up on me and that's, that's where I struggle with public land in Michigan, but don't struggle with it in other states. Like I love public land. And but I love public land in different states. Um, yeah, that's why it cracks me up. You get on Facebook, even Kansas, man. The one spot in Kansas we ran into, there was tree stands, but there weren't. I seen one other hunter the whole time we were there. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of that, man, we ran through tons of public, and we didn't run into hardly any other hunters. The one public, the public I actually shot my deer was the most pressured public. But it was still nothing, nothing compared to what uh, you see here. And um, even still, like there was a courtesy guy, dude pulled up where, you know, what are you guys' plans? Like, this is my plan. So we could avoid each other. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, these dudes on Facebook talking about out-of-state hunters just like, like they're just everywhere. And it's just not, it's, it, it cracks me up when I see people talking about the amount of pressure that their public land gets. Cause I just, man, like I would venture you to come up here and, and just try it out for a weekend, like opening oh, yeah. weekend of gun season, man, Marion Springs. Yeah. <laughs> we were talking about, we, we, this, this podcast might as well be a Rose Lake bash area. Cause we, we oh, bash on Rose Lake. Yeah. We wrote, we bash on Rose Lake quite a bit. It's, uh, that place is wild. I mean, I can't. I mean, I can't bash on it too much now. I guess. I mean, I still can. But I went out there rabbit hunting a bunch and had some luck. I took uh, some <clears throat> buddies out uh, turkey hunting and we had some luck. But we had some luck with some bullshit that you know that oh, we had yeah. to go through. But um, so I, it's that's an interesting place to hunt there. So. I will say though, since I don't hunt Michigan anymore, I'm just gonna give it out there. <laughs> 
the biggest buck I've ever seen in Michigan was at Rose Lake. Yeah. Ever. <laughs> ever. I think the cat's out of the bag at Rose Lake. Yeah. There's, everybody, there's, everybody. there's people everywhere, dude. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, no, I mean, so it's just, it's it's funny to hear people talk. I mean, I agree. Uh, it's kind of hard to compare, though. I know, like I said before, Kentucky gets a lot of pressure in September. But out of all the places I've ever hunted, I've dealt with more shit in Kentucky than anywhere I've ever hunted in my life. Like, well, I guess... I've had... 15 trail cameras stolen since Jeez. I've lived there. 15. Ohio, put, I've only had one. You gotta stop putting trail cameras out, man. <laughs> no, I, I need to. So, do you... Uh, how do you set your cameras? Do you set them at, like, normal, like, eye level? Oh, no, I hang them about hang them. stick People still steal them? Yeah. Jesus, yep. man. Uh, and, honestly, I don't know. It's only been in Kentucky, and it's actually only the northern part. So if I go hunt one of the other places that I hunt in the middle or southern part of the state, I've never had any problems with anyone. But in the northern part, I don't know what it is. And honestly, I've overheard this. We get a lot of coon hunters, like a lot of coon hunters in Kentucky. And I've heard by another coon hunter saying that if, they see trail cameras in the woods. Those are the people that typically steal them. And the only part, the only place that I've ever had. What would make them steal a trail camera? I don't know. I I wish I knew. Like, that's not even affecting their day. Like, they're yeah. not using trail cameras to locate coons. That's what they got the dogs for. Yeah. So, I, I honestly don't know why, but specifically the places around my house are the only places I've ever had them stolen. And I've had a few stolen in Ohio. I've never had problems in Indiana, but only northern Kentucky. Like southern, mid, I've never had problems. And knock on wood, I've thankfully never had a trail camera stolen, but I also haven't been ballsy enough to throw one up on public land yet. But I know a lot of people that had have, have had them stolen on some public land. But um, you don't use presets, right? So No, I don't. Are you Are you saddle hunting now or... Yeah, I have a saddle. Um, I've been saddle hunting for, I think this is my fourth season. So you don't have to worry about no one stealing your tree stand. Uh, when I first moved to Kentucky, I had two of my permanent stands stolen. Um, but I never hunted them. Uh, I've been mobile hunting since before I moved here. Uh, so I don't have problems stealing my stands at all. But I'm pretty pretty much strictly saddle hunting now i have a 0.5 that i use as a platform sometimes but i don't use it anymore i just run with my stuff i got for my saddle gear so what are you running for saddle gear so i have a latitude method two and uh right now i'm running the lone wolf custom gear double sticks and a predator 0.5 but i linked up this past year with latitude and uh, i'll be running their x-wings x-wing platform and their sticks this year i think you might be joe 2.0 i think joe runs i know joe runs a latitude saddle but he might run the lone wolf sticks too oh really i think he does yeah i i like the doubles just because they're flat and the pack i have they fit perfect on there so it super low profile 
Um, I like the double step, just simple fact of having both feet on your stick at the same time. Um, but like I said, I'm I'm switching over to all latitude stuff now. So yeah, so I have the XOP, which is about 25 pounds heavier than I'd imagine all <laughs> your stuff. Uh, it's it's a lot more to carry in, but it was my first uh, mobile rig setup and. I love it. I, I'm a big fan of the mobile rig, and especially if you're hunting out of state, it's there's not you're not going to beat whether it's XOP or Latitude, some sort of saddle or spend the money get a decent setup because otherwise you're going to regret it later. But if you're hunting somewhere public land or you're hunting out of state, you need to get a, a mobile setup. And I'll, I'll be honest, when I say mobile, like leave the climber at home. Yeah, I don't. I, I I used to love climbers, but they limit you to what type of trees you can get in that a saddle or a mobile platform just will will outshine that. Oh yeah, by leaps and bounds. So yeah, in my opinion, if you're mobile hunting. Leave the, leave the climber at home. Spend some money. Get, I mean, between XOP, Lone Wolf. Heck, uh, doesn't Beast have a set of yeah. sta- um, sticks? Um, I mean, man, there's so many different options out there in, in so many different budget ranges that will get you up a tree safely, comfortably, and sitting all day. Oh, um, without a doubt. There's tons of great companies. And one thing that my brother said when I very first started mobile hunting, I ended up getting the Lone Wolf Alpha 2. I was like, man, this is like 300 bucks just yeah. for the stand. And he's like, well, you buy once and you cry once. Yeah. And I ended up having that thing for what, six or seven years. And, uh, yeah, it's, I still have it, but I mean, I, I love it. It's, you can't go wrong with the mobile setup. You don't have stuff stolen. You can hunt <laughs> a different tree all the time. You can hunt any tree. I mean, you can't go wrong with the mobile setup, no matter what you get. No, yep, it's 100%. It's worth, I mean, I think for my XOP setup, there's at least 500 bucks there in the sticks and the stand. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the back, the upgraded backpack strap. And, uh, I mean, like Kansas, I you can't hunt, I, I can't hunt with a climber in Kansas, mm-hmm. you know, so you have to, you have to buy that. But now it's something I use in Michigan. Yeah. You know, um, it's something that I spent all that money on, and it 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 will change the way you hunt. It oh, will yeah. change how you think about presets, right? Because if I hang that stand in the morning, and by nine a.m. realize this is not the spot, mm-hmm. in five minutes I'm down a tree, and in ten minutes I'm up another one. You yeah. know, like it it, it it's just it's. Bam, bam! You're you're up and you're down. Agree. It's yeah. less work, in my opinion, than hanging presets. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, yeah, the there's just options are. Well, th- think about it this way. So, like I said, you buy once, cry once. If someone has a piece of private land, they're not just having one stand. I mean, they might. Right. They have four, five. How much is a preset stand? Hundred bucks? Oh no, 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 no. Um, a decent preset ladder, 150 bucks. Okay. 150 bucks. And you have how many? Um, Four or so five? We'll, we'll just go off of the one 23 acre place I hunt. There's 
a double, two doubles, four singles for ladders, and one platform. Okay, so that's what, 800 bucks? 800, oh, 900 bucks? Plus you have the two gun blinds we built. Okay, so you take all of that money that you spend on all of your permanent setups, and you have all of these different spots, but you're only hunting six spots. Yeah. You spend 600 bucks, you get a great mobile setup, and you hunt any tree you want whenever you want. Yep. You're spending less money, and you're hunting anywhere you want. Oh, yeah. So, in my opinion, I think mobile hunting is actually cheaper. For sure. I mean, now, don't get me wrong. When I'm hunting private land, it is a convenience to have a stand already hung. You don't have to carry it out there. Don't get me wrong. But to have that option, right, like to be able to sit in, in one of my presets and go, man, I've watched... 10 deer move over that 100 yards over there and I don't have a stand over there. Come home or even if I have it in the truck, go get it in the truck, pull it out, hang it up, and now you just put yourself in the game. Whereas before you were sitting on the sidelines from that preset. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And that's 100% correct. And that that's actually why I was convinced to mobile hunt. So before I I used to hunt, private and some public in Michigan growing up through high school and uh I would my sophomore year of high school is when I started mobile hunting and but before I had a lone wolf I was doing this in eighth ninth grade I would be sitting in a ladder stand and I'd see these deer like where I can't kill them so I just said screw it I'd go down and sit on the ground um and be mobile that way and I just got busted just every shit time just, so just even more I was frustrating. Like, well, what do i gotta do in order to <laughs> up my game a little bit and my brother he he was mobile hunting with a lone wolf i think since 2011 and he convinced me to just go get one and it just completely changed how i looked at everything and it changed my hunting 100 percent. yeah i think in hunting especially when you're hunting mature whitetails there's sometimes a bit of risk that needs to be taken, right? Like there's there's going to be moments where you have to make it happen. It's not just going to happen for you. Oh yeah. And that mobile rig, man, it, it will. In my opinion, it's going to up the amount of chances you're going to get at big deer, especially if you're hunting states like Kentucky, Ohio, Indiana, you know, Kansas, big buck states. It's going to up their your opportunity at them. Um, the other thing, even in Michigan, it's going to give you an advantage over other people, right? Because I can go in there and no one's going to know I'm, I'm hunting there, Mm -hmm. but they, you see 56 other presets, you know, in the area, right? So everyone else is telling you, okay, we're hunting this area. You can take your setup in there and you can be alone, uh, hopefully, but you know, and then if it is blown out. Well, if I have a preset, now I'm stuck in this area that's been, I, I got to go lunk it around to another tree. Yeah. Well, here, I'll just pick it up and find a different area. Exactly. You know? Like like you were saying earlier, you might have someone set 30 yards away from you. If you only have presets, what are you going to do, go home? Right. So yeah. This, if you have yeah. a mobile setup, all right, well, I'm going to go over here then. Right. I might be pissed, but I'm still hunting. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, I'll just pack her up and move somewhere else. So. Yeah, exactly. It 
it's a great thing to do, and I think a lot of people are starting to catch on. It's a great thing. It is becoming much more just like public land, but the reason I think they are becoming more popular is because of public land. Saddles in the last two years blew up. Oh, I would yeah. say even last year. Last year, saddles went from something I didn't really know about to, man, I, I know so many people that have them now. Mm-hmm. Um, hell, Latitude, I didn't even know it was a company until <laughs> – October of last year when my buddy went and bought one, you know, he knew the guy. I'm not sure the people that he knows someone who owns the company or is up in the company. Yeah. And, you know, he was telling me about it and he went and got a Latitude saddle. But, you know, it's it's crazy how fast that those two things together, mobile hunting and um, saddles just blew up. Social media, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's wild. Um, so on a diff, a little bit of a different topic. So moving to Kentucky, what do you think was your biggest challenge in hunting Kentucky deer over Michigan deer? I've never had to deal with wind and thermals. Thermals in Kentucky. I've never hunted hills. Michigan's flat. Right, you don't have to worry about thermals here. I've never, you do to an extent. it's, 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 it's a lot more subtle. When I... We learned this in in Kansas because they have it, it. Kansas is very flat, but what they have is very deep creeks, mm-hmm. right? Water and that's where down. deer are crossing. And if you've ever, man, it's the coolest thing in the world. If you ever get some milkweed, mm-hmm. drop it on a sunny, cold morning. It'll rise. Yeah. Watch and just watch it. But then at the same time, drop it on a warm uh, evening, like near a creek bank, mm-hmm. and watch what happens to it. I mean, it will yep. suck it down so fast. Yep. And then as soon as it hits the water, it just goes along. Mm-hmm. Like it's insane how far your scent will travel down a river. Oh, yeah. It doesn't stop as far as you can see it. Yeah. goes everywhere and all the hills around it bounce off it. But at the same time, a buck can be standing up on top of that and never smell you, you know, because it, you're th- it's just pulling your thermals down in there. Exactly. So, like, I just last year, man, I learned, like, man, like, that buck is coming in totally downwind of me. Well, it's the morning, it's sunny, everything's pulling it up. So you mm-hmm. get away with a little bit more because, you know, it you're – scent is essentially kind of blowing over the top of them yep but you get a warm morning in november that i promise you you're it's going to be drastically different oh yeah so yeah the the thermals were that was a killer the first year i lived there (laughs) i mean i listened to every podcast i seen on the internet about that and i'm still not awesome yeah i mean i just i take milkweed every time i scout every time i'm hanging just to glass every time i hunt i'm just constantly dropping it just seeing what it does and i write it down in my onyx on my notes just in this spot what does it do in this spot what does it do now what is the weather conditions how cold is it what's the pressure is it cloudy is it sunny is it morning evening (laughs) what what's it doing and eventually i started kind of learning on what it's doing and the conditions that it does. And it, it came a long way, 
but it's definitely a challenge trying to learn that if you're not used to it. Yeah, you're getting busted by deer that aren't even downwind to you, and you're like, Dude, I don't even understand. <laughs> you don't, I would, I couldn't even tell you. The first year I lived there, I'm like, dude, this deer is like 300 yards upwind. How am I getting blown at right now? And I am didn't even know until, yeah. like, I started learning, like, after that season. Next year I came in the same spot. I started dropping milkweed. I'm like, okay, now I know why. Yeah. It's hitting that creek, and that creek is following it down the channel upwind. Yep. And it's a cool evening or a warm evening that is cloudy. Yep. Thermals are dropping going right to the deer that are completely in the opposite way, the wind direction. Yep. So my buddy, Mike, who I went, who, you know, uh, who went to Kansas with me, he was the one who was like, you know, when we're in Kansas, we might have to worry about this a little bit, you know? And I was like, well, you know, cause I've watched the hunting public. They, they talk about it, but they're hunting drastically different States, you know? Yeah. I'm just used to a little puffer here. All I really need to worry about is which way the wind's blowing, you know, yeah. 95% of the time I can get away with it. Um, and so he actually ordered some online cause we couldn't, it was too late to find any like out in the fields or whatnot. Mm-hmm. So we didn't, he ended up uh, getting some online or whatnot. And he was like, even in Michigan, he, he would come up and he was taking videos of it like falling. I'm like, man, like it's flat and it has that big of an effect. Mm-hmm. It, if it has that big of an effect here, well, what's it going to be like in Kansas? So when we oh, got yeah. down there, I mean, you dealt with we dealt with a lot of different weather, and it was insane what that stuff did when it hit the water. By hit the water, I mean got about five foot above the water and then stopped falling and went straight down. And you're just, I mean, first time you see it, you're blown away. Like, man, oh yeah, how does that happen? It's crazy, dude. But yeah, that will. My that is a, a seriously something I never thought about until this year was thermals, and if you're hunting other states, especially hilly states with a lot of ridges, um, you're it's it will change your success rate learning how to read thermals based on what your deer movement is. Oh, without a doubt, hundred percent. It, it it's insane how. That one thing can ruin a hunt and have a hunter just sitting in a tree stand like that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Even in Michigan, I'd had it growing up, I'd had it happen so many times. And then once in milkweed, man, it's just a little piece of a silk looking thing. That yeah. that one thing compared to a puffer, which we talked a couple podcasts, Joe and I did about the use of the two. And in Michigan you can get away with either. Mm-hmm. But if I had the option, I would take the milkweed just mm-hmm. because it offers up a totally different, uh, um, I guess, education of what's actually going on around you. Yeah. You know, because, I mean, in 20-mile-an-hour wind, I'm not going to be overly worried about my thermals. Like, at, at that point, the wind is going to kind of outride what your thermals really are. But on a calm day, your thermals will outride what whatever direction that wind is going. 100%. And it will, and let's be honest, 
are you hunting on a calm day? Are you hunting on 20, 20 mile an hour winds? Right? Like, I mean, we're both probably going to say both, but the average hunter depends is, how crazy you are. <laughs> the average hunter is is choosing the calm day. So no, I like hunting high winds. Oh man, I the only thing that sketches me out is the tree. Really? Yeah, man. I'm a baby. I'm like way afraid of heights. So I don't I, like. I'll go up twenty or so feet in the air, but that tree starts rocking, man. Oh, start dude. puckering I, up the butthole. <laughs> I love high winds, honestly. I, I think almost every deer I've killed, besides maybe like five, like big mature deer, since I've lived there, it's been nasty weather. Um, let's see. Nope. Well, I would say, so Kansas doesn't count. Like, it's windy every day in Kansas. So I wouldn't say that was nasty weather. The one buck upstairs I got, it was windy all morning. The, like, one second break it stopped, I hit a call, and nice three-year-old come running down the, you know, fence row at me. Um, my Ohio buck, it did pour rain. I mean, poured rain all morning to where we didn't even hunt. And then as soon as it stopped, we went in, and I shot him an hour into my sit at, like, one thirty in the afternoon. So, I mean, maybe. I mean, I'm not opposed to it. I sat in it more once I I paid the money and got the waterproof Sitka gear. I, so I sat on it a little bit more this year, but I didn't have any luck. I'm not opposed to it. It's just uh, I don't – I just haven't had luck, I guess, a ton of luck. And, yeah. and when it comes to it, like rain doesn't bother me, wind does. Wind, wind will simply because wind is, it tears through your body, and I do not like my tree swaying. Man, do I hate my tree swaying. I just go up two sticks. Yeah, I mean, I could probably do that if I would think about it, but <laughs> I generally don't think about it until I'm up in a tree swaying, like even with my harness on. my You know what I think about? Even with, even with my harness on, like, man, like if this tree falls over and I'm stuck to it, like what am I going to do? It's a bit of an unrealistic thought because it's, let's be honest, the cha- I, unless I'm putting it in a dead tree, the chances of this tree falling over are pretty slim. <laughs> So, dude, I don't know. Last year, my buddy Corey and I we were hunting Indiana, and we were sitting there texting each other. And we were just hearing trees crash everywhere around us. Yeah, I, I think we counted like fifteen trees falling, mm-hmm. and we're like, "Yeah, we're uh, we're gonna get out of here today. <laughs> it's, time, it's time to <laughs> go we, home." We go to the parking lot. There's a one forty standing there. Oh man, it was. He almost killed it, but it was close. Oh, I don't know. That that's that sucks there, but. Well, man, you've got some hammers uh, that you showed me uh, down in Kentucky. I believe that's where they were, is where in Kentucky. I don't know. You have a bunch of different places to hunt. Yeah. But. Uh, well, this past year, I all of my cameras out of state are all card pulls, so I haven't checked those yet. Okay. So everyone I showed you today was in Kentucky. And there are some hammers on there. So, man, I'm excited to see... You drop the hammer on one of those because, uh, man, oh, man, they are big. And if they, man, if you drop the hammer on one of those, I'm, I'll be calling you right up because I, I can't wait to hear the story. I might need someone to drive down a track. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Believe me, if you shoot one of them and you tell me to drive down, I got the time off. I'm driving down to come track that. I mean, they are some, these are world-class deer on public and private. I mean, some once-in-a-lifetime kind of deer. So hopefully you get your hands on that. Um, I appreciate you coming in. I know you're just in town for a couple of days, so I appreciate you stopping in and just talking deer hunting with me for a little while and uh, just getting together for a minute. 
Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Yeah, it's been great. So, um, you know, I know we talked about you and hunting junkies. Um, anything else? I mean, any other handles or anything else you want to shout out to for whatever your you got sponsors or whatever you're taking out or places for people to find you online so they can see when you do shoot one of them big old bucks. Yeah, um, I'm not sure if the show's gonna have the series this year or not. Um, but I linked up with Latitude uh, recently, and we're going to be starting a TV show um, for them, and it's going to be called True Grit, and uh, it's going to be really cool. I don't know if we're going to air the series this year or next year, um, but that will be one to look forward to in the future. And uh, my Instagram is Michael underscore Lucanen. Um, we'll put it in the post Facebook. so yeah but other than that i mean just social media and that's about it well that's pretty cool that you got you know le- linking up with latitude true grit even if it doesn't come out this year i mean i promise we'll talk uh before then before it comes out but so keep an eye out for true grit with latitude keep an eye out for hunting junkies they they do put out some really good stuff and it's varying types of whitetail hunting you're it's not your basic ag field you know i mean and and they do a really good job of of producing some cool stories so keep an eye out for that but again man i appreciate you coming on out and uh and good luck well you get you're hunting in a week aren't you one week yeah one week i'll be sitting in a tree (laughs) well so hopefully in a week man we'll we'll get to I'll, i'll get a message or something of you putting a big old buck down but actually um i'm not sure when it's going to be put out there, but my Ohio video from last year is going to be dropping any any day. All right. Um, so keep an eye out for that. That's going to be on the Hunting Junkie. Right. I have a 10-minute video I'll send you, a little sneak peek. Okay, yeah, and so. We'll, so we'll put all of this in the post so it'll be easy for everyone to find. Maybe not the Latitude stuff as far as because True Grit's not out, but I'm sure we'll put a link for Latitude in there. We'll, we'll put the Hunting Junkie's YouTube page on there. Um, so anyone who does listen to this, they can go find it. And I promise you guys, the Hunt Junkies is the videos are great. You're you're not going to be disappointed there. So yep. And actually, the guy who owns Hunting Junkies is the uh, media producer for Latitude. Well, so he's so, yeah. he's gonna he's great. He's, yeah, it's he's very talented at what he does. He's he's an awesome dude. Yeah. So yeah, check it out. Um, Latitude, like I said, they they have some really good saddle hunting equipment. Alex is an awesome guy. He's the owner of the company. Very personable. Um, if you have any questions, try if you want to get into saddle hunting. He has a lot of tutorials on the gear he has and very descriptive on what he does. So if you're interested in looking at any of that, I would definitely check out Latitude. Their saddles and their equipment's just top of the line. Um, it's pretty good, reasonably priced too. So, other than that, give Hunting Junkies a a shout. A like, would you like and subscribe on YouTube? Is that what it I is? guess what they yeah. say is that's <laughs> yeah. that's it. We have an Instagram and Facebook as well. It's just so. Hunting Junkies. So, well, well, again, man, I appreciate it, and uh, man, good luck next week. I'm excited, man. You showed me them pictures, man. I can't <laughs> wait to see you, and I hope you slam one of them deer, and then. Then after that, we'll be looking to see what else you get out. But we'll man. see. I, 
There's another buck in Kentucky yeah. for that for that bonus tag. Right. I've been watching them for a few years now. So. so I didn't show you that one yet. I'll show you. That's right. Now. Hopefully you'll show him when he's on the ground. But I fingers crossed. I don't know. I'm not getting my hopes up yet. <laughs> so all right, man. We'll we'll talk to you guys later, and then uh, I don't know. Joe will be back next time. I'm not. I don't even know what our plans are for the next podcast. But appreciate you guys listening, and uh, we'll talk to you guys later.